Hello and welcome to Movies and Tea. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my glamorous co-host, Miss Kimlo. Hello. If you of course stumped up your Patreon dollars, that you will have obviously seen by our big showgirl entrance that uh, we are obviously dressed in our finest evening wear tonight to celebrate our top 10 discoveries of 2022. Uh, possibly one of my favourite episodes to record every year Where myself and Kim tonight are going to be going through the movies that we saw for the first time As well other shows prefer to do like their roundup of the year We prefer instead to focus on the films we've discovered throughout the year Providing a much more interesting list And hopefully giving yourselves uh, some more movies to add on to your own wish list But in terms of movie watching, Kim, how has 2022 been for yourself? I mean, it's okay. It's uh, obviously, you know, I had a newborn, so <laughs> my movie watching decreased a lot. Yep. Uh, and you cut out all of the film festival coverages and a good portion, and that usually fills out, like, a, a decent amount of the films that I watch. And and you're here, and I think I'm like, I think I'm like, I don't know, 150 films off from my normal <coughs> year or something like that. Yeah, so. of course. <laughs> so... That that's where it is, but I mean, most of the films in general are that I've seen. I feel have been okay. Um, it's been a pretty average year, I think. The films that stood out really stood out, and that was like a top twenty that really stood out on my own list. And then a lot of stuff fell into the average. Um, I didn't watch a lot of stuff that was really bad. Um, there was maybe like one or two, perhaps, but nothing. I don't think anything was lower than like a maybe two stars, something like that. Um, but I, I, I can't remember because I don't remember bad movies that much. <laughs> yeah, exactly the same as myself. It's sort of like I don't remember the really bad movies of the year this year, but I know that they were certainly there. And I'd say that when it came to like compiling my sort of like top fifty for the year, then that that top twenty, there was a whole bunch of movies I wish I could obviously bump up further. But there's only so many sort of spots and. You kind of hit that point where it's sort of like, you know, I really enjoyed these movies, but they're just not as good as the ones that are in that top ten. So I had to sort of make my peace with it and leave out things like, you know, The Kid Detective and the Von Trier kick I've been on, which is obviously, like, meant that I've got to watch, like, things like Melancholia for the first time. Like, possibly the most beautiful movie about depression that's ever been made. And even things like uh, These Final Hours, the... Um, Australian independent film about the end of the world I wish that it just fell just a little short much like Swing Girls and uh, the Guar documentary um, you just like wish that if on a different year these are films could have been like in a top 10 but uh, sadly this year the uh, competition was fierce for the top 10 and while there was a couple of movies that like hung on to that number one spot for like a longest time um I think it's a, it's another solid uh, 10 that um, I've come away with this year, so I'm excited to share them with you tonight, as well as see your 10, Kim. Do you, yes. So, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, so, my first, well, my number 10 for my first time watches this year is a Netflix original, I guess, um, which is fairly early in the year and made my list I think and I knew it would and that was Love and Leashes a Korean romantic comedy film uh which is based on the webtoon uh, Moral Sense by Yule I don't know how to say that <laughs> um yeah so this is a film about basically um this uh new 
boss that comes in, like a female boss that comes in, and this worker suddenly become uh, becomes very interested in. It's more like a it's like a team member who comes in, and then he suddenly uh, they start exploring BDSM, <laughs> and then she goes into a, he goes into a contract with her, and he like convinces her to go into that, and then basically that's what that's what happened. It uh, released around Valentine's Day, so it really like matched that the time, I guess. Um, I would have to say when it first came out, I watched a lot of it, and that's that's one of the reasons I knew it would most probably make my list. Um, obviously it's dropped down quite a bit <laughs> from that point on, but, um, it's a really good film and in, in like you, ha it's a different type of romantic comedy. And, um, I mean, people who understand Korean humor, I guess, understand Korean humor and know why it's, it's a really fun trip to watch. Um, especially with the angle of how they take the, um, the relationship that these two eventually, uh, build upon. Fantastic. Uh, this was one that's on my watch list to still watch. I know that you also had it as a Friday Film Club pick as well, so so it gives me another kick to uh, to watch this one. But I couldn't help but look at this and think of um, the um, other BDSM film, Secretary, and wanted to do whether yeah. it was uh, it, whether it was sort of like a lighter take on that. So that's another film that I've had multiple people like Christine over at the Feminine Critique and the Van over at. Uh, similar recall both have recommended and yet have uh yet to actually sit down and watch as well so i got a couple of movies there right off the bat to watch coming into the christmas yeah season. i mean yeah i mean i watched secretary uh this year as well mm. um sadly it didn't make my list i think it was a pretty decent movie um i kind of came away with it uh more that it it's kind of a cross between Love and Leashes and then you have Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, so close. Because there's a bit of intensity to it and then um, Fifty Shades of Grey is kind of very similar to it. I remembered, I think we had an off-air conversation. I don't know if it was you or someone, is there someone else? Uh, maybe my husband. Where I was talking about um, how Fifty Shades of Grey, when someone did that, it was kind of like someone watched Twilight and then they were like, you know, I really like Secretary. And they decided to use a fan fiction where they use the two main characters and then they changed it into, you know, the secretary type of scenario. Um, but, you know, obviously I, I don't, I didn't do a whole lot of research into, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, what was the inspiration, where did it all come from? And if it was someone trying to, you know, do separate, like, like they were liking secretary and they based it off, of, they're probably not going to say that. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> no. Um, and... But uh, yeah, I need to. Uh, I, I still need to to watch it. I know that it's um, a James Spader movie, which is the second sort of like kinky movie he did. Cause he also did Crash as well for Cronenberg, which is about people who get off on car crashes. Mm -hmm. And it's a very that's a very surprisingly sexy movie. But um, so I know that he's obviously not afraid of doing that sort of uh, sort of kinky material. So I would have to give Secretary a watch as well. So, but no, great pick, Kim. Yeah, and uh, and for your number ten, uh, for my number ten, uh, it's a documentary uh, from two thousand and four. I like killing flies about Kenny Shopskin. Um, Kenny Shopskin he had a eatery over in the uh, village over in uh, Greenwich called Shopskins, and he did obviously move from the pro property. But this is a documentary which uh, basically 
follows him in his restaurant and his uh, quirky personality as he runs a restaurant where you can't turn up if you've got more than a table of four. Um, he has a restaurant, has a, runs a menu of over 500 items and constantly seems to be making things up while operating out of the most DIY kitchen you will possibly ever see. Um, and yet this is also a wonderful slice of food porn. Um, this is a really fantastic documentary. Um, not only does it obviously capture the quirky personality of Kenny Shopson um, and his family, but also just embraces that sort of um, love of cooking that obviously he had. And he would uh, go on to write the wonderful cookbook, Eat Me, uh, which contained his personal philosophies as well as uh, recipes and a really sort of fun documentary about a quirky sort of uh, character someone who probably wouldn't be maybe uh, sort of overlooked unless you sort of live in the sort of New York area which he's kind of was like a local legend and suddenly has has passed away and it and I think this uh, documentary serves as a fitting tribute to him but um it's uh, one that I I, read, I sort of revisited prior to like us coming on the show tonight just to make sure it sort of like deserved the spot that I gave it a 10. But um, yeah, I think, as I say, it sort of reinforced uh, everything I sort of love about this documentary. It's just a wonderfully quirky character and, uh, and at the same time a healthy dose of food porn as well. So. <laughs> Who doesn't love food porn, right? No. I actually have a I have a movie. My next movie is actually a lot of food porn. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, I, I always get amazed at how you find all these like quirky documentaries of things that I've never heard of. I just love documentaries <laughs> about like subgroups or just quirky characters. Um, those are like my favorite documentaries to sort of hunt down. So if you if you like got a documentary about like some bizarre subgroup of like people who are into something like um, I think it was last year where we had School World, which was about the uh, guys who like to build cardboard weapons and battle each other, um, <laughs> which I thought was really fantastic. And that was by the same director as um, who uh, who did Clapboard um, Jungle. Okay. Um, it was like one of his one of his documentaries. We just went out and found this guy who, him and his friends, just like to build cardboard weapons and fight each other in like huge fantasy battles. And then they go to Australia and they like the Australians have like took it to a whole other scale with like building vehicles and buildings out of cardboard and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, that's my sort of quirky documentary for for this year's list. Um, I like killing flies. Um, you can find it on YouTube. So uh, you can watch it for free on, on there. And I don't think it's ever had a physical release as such, even though it's one that I think would be much like a Penguin's Memory would be really great if Criterion had picked it up just in terms of like film preservation. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to add that to my list. It, it, it seems like I really like, I do like quirky stuff, but I never seem to be able to find any <laughs> of them. Um, I'm always like, you know, stuck in my own little crime documentaries on netflix <laughs> and i never really break out of that it's just the people you hang around with who like who tend to drop stuff it's because i'm like hanging around like gentleman's guide to midnight cinema or from like facebook and in their group and they're just constantly dropping weird films or if i'm listening to like episodes of kissing contests again they drop weird films because they're all big cult cinema fans so it's just uh it's just the cinema weirdos I surround myself with who just drop these wonderful recommendations for me. This was a lot of dreck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what makes your list unique. <laughs> yeah. What about your number nine, Kim? 
Okay, my number nine is uh, 2007's Waitress, which is a dramedy of some sort, I guess. Um, and it's uh, directed by Adrian Shelley, who unfortunately has passed away. Um, and this is basically a movie with about a woman who's like living in the small town um, in an abusive, controlling marriage. Um, who ends up getting pregnant, uh, which she doesn't want because she originally was planning to save enough to leave town, and now obviously she can't. Um, but she is working as a pie genius at this pie <laughs> wait, like a waitress as this like pie played pie diner type of thing. Um, and basically, the the film is just you know she has these pie things that like these pie ideas that I really love, and every time she goes into a certain situation, she'll make these different pies where, and then you see her combining it, and then it's like it pops into that whole pie making uh, uh, type of um, montage of like oh this is a pie that I want to make about you know uh, the not wanting a baby or some pie or yeah. <laughs> or you know like the whatever and and it's and I think it's so quirky in that sense that um, and. Mostly because I, you know, I watched this mostly because it was Carrie Russell, and I really love her ever since um, I saw her in Felicity. Um, but no, I mean the movie because it's gotten a musical since then, and uh, and all that. I, you know, I felt like I really wanted to watch it, and obviously that landed on Netflix, so I was able to give it a go. And it's really, really good, and not only just for the food porn, but I think the there's like this really nice comedy element to it. Um, and a really nice, um, I guess, like a life revelation about, about you know, how things, about like finding the courage to kind of face your life in a certain way. Uh, like kind of break out of all the toxicity that's in your life and, and have the courage to move in your own direction, right? Uh, I don't know. Have you seen this movie before? I've seen the DVD because it used to constantly be on the shelf of Borders. Uh, but okay. it's one that I've never actually watched and now uh, you've really convinced me to go and check it out now. If you like to watch a lot of pie, uh, it's, it's not like you're just saying, <laughs> "Oh, she likes to she likes to make pies." And I was like, "I've not seen that idea done since like pushing daisies." And I like pies, so why not? <laughs> How many of these pies are you replicated? Does it like inspired you to go and like make more pies, Kim? Well, you know, I haven't had time to make any pies, okay. but um, I definitely like some of the combos she makes is is really wild, um, and and like I just I just think it, it's. It's crazy, like, some of the stuff that she does. And you kind of, like, start thinking about, okay, well, why do these ingredients inspire that flavor yeah. type of thing, right? Uh, yeah. So it, it's nice because there's kind of, like, there's a really there's a really nice type of um, relationship that builds between her and um, Nathan Fillion's character. And it's just, it's, like, the whole dynamic of it is really nice. Um, and, and I like it. <laughs> For a movie about a waitress who... Who who ends up like cheating with their doctor, who's also married? It's a it's a very it's surprisingly uh, it's surprisingly uh, deep. Cool. Um, for myself, I went with Giants and Toys in 1958, which is a Japanese satirical comedy uh, about warring candy companies. Um, in this, uh, you've got the free. Uh, uh, candy manufacturers you've got world giant and apollo who are basically looking for that what the promotional campaign that's going to give them the edge over their competitors um and it basically follows these two guys who work for world 
who think that they've got the winning edge when they discover this girl called Kyoko, who's a working class girl who's got bad teeth, but at the same time she's super charismatic and ends up becoming this like world uh, renowned star um, and sort of face of their campaign, and it uh, at the same basically follows the follows his parents. They try to reel her in as the star gets bigger and her sort of personality becomes more out of control. All at the same time, while trying to deal with the ever changing uh, battlefield of these uh, warring candy companies, it's a really really fun film. I mean, this is directed by Yasu Masumura, who also did Black Tesco, which was about uh, warring car production companies. So he likes to do these sort of slice of life co- comedies. But this is a, a film which is just absolutely sort of like charming. And as I said, it's just about warring um, candy companies, which is kind of fun in, in itself. And Itomi Nozu stars as uh, Kyoko, who is just charming uh, at the nth degree. She starts off as this sort of like almost childlike uh, presence who's uh, got these tadpoles that uh, she's just absolutely attached to. When she gets a big first uh, check through from her modeling gig she's announced that she's going to go and buy crackers and as the film goes on she would see her becoming much more of this diva as she starts to realize her worth and how her star rising star manages to sort of eclipse uh what she was uh initially hired to do so uh, yes, Giants and Toys was uh, was a really fun discovery, and this is one we went we covered over for my other show, the Asian Cinema Film Club. As uh, my co-host Steven's a big fan of this one, and um, he recommended it to me originally, and um, I have to agree, it's a really, really great movie. Sounds like a fun time. I mean, I've never heard of it, obviously, because uh, my knowledge of um, is it nineteen fifty? Yeah, movies? this is nineteen fifty eight. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's very thin, <laughs> even in the American cinema. So let's not even go to Japanese cinema. <laughs> but no, it sounds really fun. I, I mean, um, I think that Japanese humor in general is pretty uh, unique. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that obviously comedy is very subjective. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if I ever find a movie, it's, whether um, yeah. Or and get a chance to see it whether the humor would work for me because I'm not a person that watches a whole lot of Japanese films, so uh, it's not really you know top of my list. But I mean the the premise and everything sounds really interesting. It's available on the Arrow player, um, so you can watch it. Okay. You can stream it online, um, and yes, it's got this sort of like really quirky um, sort of humor to it. So there's a scene where. The companies are sort of like announcing their prices that they're going to be giving away and world are going with space. So it's all like very sort of 1950s sort of like Buck Rogers-esque uh, space stuff. So it's ray guns and bubble space helmets. And then they're competitors of a giant who have this giant Japanese man. And they say they're giving away like animals. And you think, oh, you know, like toy animals. But no, they got like monkeys that they're giving away. And you think, what sort of candy company is going to give away live animals <laughs> as a prize for buying candy? Um, and then there's a little quirky things like they got the little ticker tape in the background, which shows like the stocks of the different companies. And because they've run it, it's an ongoing thing. So you get to the end of the tape and you just see it's like this downward plunge, like all the companies have crashed, even though it just means they just haven't updated that far. So, Kim, at uh, number eight, what did you have? Uh, number eight, I chose a very recent film. Um, 
it's one of the few festival films that I'm adding in here. And uh, this is a Mexican film called Mex Zombies um, that I watched during Toronto After Dark Film Festival. And uh, it's basically a horror comedy which blends this uh, zombie style of, uh, basically zombie version of Stranger Things, The Goonies, with like a zombie land type of vibe. Um, it's it's a really really fun adventure, mostly because you know you're you're feature you're you're basically around a group of teens who uh, group up together to keep the zombies uh, to protect the world basically and to keep them inside the gated community and try to stop them before they can escape into the the you know stop them before they have an apocalypse, um, <laughs> and like. All this is set during Halloween night, so which makes it even more funny because people in the gated community who don't know what's going on basically can't tell whether they're actually it's a real zombie or a fake one, right? Um, and at the same time, this is kind of uh, a love letter to the to mostly zombie zombie movies, but a lot of other movies as well, where you have one character who is like a huge film fanatic. And he'll drop a lot of stuff uh, like about films, and then during the film, you'll also have a lot of people mentioning like or having certain lines or something like that 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 pop up that is very basically like paying tribute to to a lot of um, Hollywood films in general. That sounds fantastic. Um, I'm just looking up on uh, on Letterbox now, and I can see you're the only person um, out of my friend group who's seen it. So, um, well done, you. Well, it's. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's because it's it's still in the festival yeah. route. So um, normally I wouldn't like I, I last year I did add a few festival films in there as well um, for our for the top 10 first time watches. Um, but uh, no, I mean, this one is, you know, the rare it's like my comeback <laughs> to the fest festival gradually. And um, it's one of the films this year, I think, that really, really stand out. Um, I mean, I know that, you know, I'm one of those people who are very uh skeptical now against zombies zombie movies because i think that it's been overdone and there's a lot of things that's been done over and over again but mech zombies i think takes a really nice angle and it has a really refreshing take there's a good balance between the comedy um the horror isn't really like crazy it, it kind of reminds you a little of Shaun of the okay. dead type yes. of humor where, where it's like a really good balance um it's not really scary too much but the zombies are done well um, but at the same time, you also have this really nice, like, humor that's going on. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a really good time, I think. Fantastic. I totally agree with yourself that zombies are very sort of overplayed because it's sort of like the go-to if you've got, like, a indie horror production. It's always like, oh, let's go make a zombie movie because they're pretty easy to put together. But at the same time, it's always fun when you get someone doing something new with a zombie movie, like something like One Cut the Dead or to... Yeah. The other end of the spectrum, something like the sadness, which I also saw um, this year. Yes, that sadness would have made my list, but it's one movie that I would not watch. It's a again wild time, life. isn't it? Oh, oh, that's a wild time. No, I mean that one is like, it's like a one and done. Yeah. The, that movie is a one and done. It goes way too overboard, and I think that that was one of the reasons why I didn't score it as high as a lot of people did. Yeah. Was I thought a lot of it just went way over. Um, but I mean, for I think it was very revolutionary 
um, in terms of a zombie film for a Taiwanese uh, story. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Um, enough of those films, much like The Raid, where we got a director from the West going over to the East and making some absolutely bonkers movie with uh, local talent. Um, and as I said, much like we got Gareth Anderson's uh, with The Raid movies, where he went over and made made uh, these two absolutely bonkers uh ultra-violent kung fu movies which obviously paved the way for the likes of uh, The Night Comes For Us and sort of highlighted to a bunch of uh, really fantastic talent who have now made it over to uh, the West as well and I think the sadness certainly did the same but at the same time everything that was in the film it didn't feel like exploitive it just felt like oh you know this this fits in with the theme we're going with here but uh, yeah I could I can much like yourself it didn't make my top 10 list either so I think I got everything I needed to out of that one viewing. <laughs> and and then it like and then I remembered it haunted me for the month after, so <laughs> I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm not doing this. Obviously, I mean, if you can take like really intensely gory, bloody, um, very obscene mm. type of movies, then I think that there are a lot of people I remember when it was doing the festival circuit. Obviously, I didn't watch it during the festival circuit. Who? really loved this movie they thought it was incredible it was revolutionary for what it was doing and and all that stuff but you know i just you know <laughs> i think that there's always a something that's a little too yeah. much you know raw kind of straddles the you know a little too much but it does it in kind of a, a good way um it's not like it is disturbing in the moment, but it's not like haunting you for weeks, you know. <laughs> but this one is like, you know, I can't think about the sadness and be like, oh goodness, you know. I think about the sadness and I'm like, oh, that scene, I can't, <laughs> you know, like. I know, you, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. There's certain films that, like, when I look at like the, especially we were doing like the top twenty list, and there's things such yeah. as like Annette that I still think about like on a daily basis but at the same time it didn't make my top 10 list so um, yeah. it's, it's funny like just how certain movies will stick with you even if they're not going to make that sort of top 10 and I think certainly when it came to the sun there are certain things that are still sticking with me now um, but yeah <laughs> yeah so what's your number 8 <laughs> and it's a completely different end of the spectrum again uh, this is from 1964 and it's Pale Flower directed by Mashiro Shinoda another discovery from the Asian Cinema Film Club uh, this is from the Japanese New Wave and it follows this Yakuza gangster called Murakai who has just been released from prison for um, seven sentences of murder and he's a life a lifer within the Yakuza he's dedicated to his boss and his basically lets, likes to spend his time hanging around gambling dens um, and it's here that he runs into a woman called Seiko who is kind of like a thrill seeker and sort of in turn turns his world upside down as uh, she follows him around uh, various sort of like gambling dens and um, just leads him on these sort of wild, wild uh, harebrained adventures as uh, she's kind of like a, this thrill seeker this is a movie, as I said, it's about uh, gambling, and you wouldn't think that watching a bunch of people play a tile game, kind of like Mahjong, although it's not Mahjong, that I still have no clue what the rules mm. are, but it is still one of the most engrossing things in the world to watch. So yeah, with uh, when it came to Pale Flower, uh, this isn't a film which has got like 
big sort of action set pieces it hasn't got like war and yakuza as i said it's just kind of like this slice of life as this uh this well-weary gangster um finds himself just sort of like fascinated um yet kind of horrified by this woman who sort of like worked her way into his life um at the same time the threat of uh of a turf war threatens to his loyalties to his his role within his gang um as i said this is uh part of the japanese new wave so it is a very sort of real sort of uh it's a very sort of stylistic early shot movie um as i said it's got a real sort of jazzy score as well so if you're into jazz then you're probably really gonna kick out of that as well but um no this is a uh, one that i believe is on criterion um but um i would recommend to recommend checking out it's just you wouldn't think that a movie, as I said, that is just about people playing tile games. Um, it would be as engrossing as it is, and yet it does that wonderful thing of rep using repetition of sound, much like Audition, where you see these people use the same sort of terms again, the tapping of tiles, and it does sort of like uh, really becomes quite pleasing to the ear. Um, but uh, yeah, that's um, one of my highbrow entries for this list. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, I haven't no. watched it. Uh, we refer back to my previous comment about Japanese yes, films. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm looking at this up right now, and it's saying that it's influenced by Charles Baudelaire's Les Fleurs du Mal, which I looked up, and it was like this poetry about um, about flowers of evil. And uh, it's pretty interesting. Like when you think about it, it's I think it's it, it refers to you know like when you get influenced by a yeah uh kind of like a woman who brings more toxicity <laughs> into your ever destructive life right yeah exactly it's sort of like and, you know just uh have that one person who can uh just completely upset your status quo really so and yet you somehow have yeah. this weird obsession with how keeping them around so <laughs> <laughs> i think it's i think it's pretty cool um i really do you know like i really i really do love the you know the the ever the few Japanese films I watched that has these like crazy women in it and I remember when we reviewed First Love that was one of the moments that we really love was that that was that was that woman who was like just you know full of uh, who was just like super <laughs> crazy and she was just like running around and <laughs> unstoppable <laughs> and she was hunting down this guy or something and I, it was uh, I think that I think that you know with with films like that they're no matter like how you you know how you say it's highbrow or not, I think that there is a space for everything. Yeah. Um, it's something that I realized when I was watching like the the Festival du Nouveau Cinema, which is all new cinema stuff, um, art house and all that. And you and you always think about these movies, which you talk about, and then you you explain like the premise of someone, and it sounds like it's the most boring movie in the world. But then there is this like captivating element in it that you can't understand until you actually watched a movie um oh yeah this i definitely yeah. uh, can think of like a couple of films right off the bat like audition is one um that i often think of it's sort of like i like while i love audition i couldn't think of like making someone sit through it because it would have been such a slow burn the same with like um lost in translation like when you explain the part of yeah. lost in translation it's just about two people in japan sort of like finding themselves 
and there is no real plot to it and I, I was surprised that movie was like liked by so many people because I sort of thought it's just this movie that is essentially about nothing and yet it's like just in, really engrossing in the most randomest way yeah, and, and you're you're even talking about some pretty big movies. Like I'm in my mind, there's always one movie that I watched in the new cinema, which is which is called Tourism, which I don't think it ever <laughs> made it anywhere big. <laughs> but it was about two girls who won a free trip to Singapore, and it was two Japanese girls who won a trip to, to a trip to Singapore, and then they get to Singapore, and then they get separated. Um, and they eat and basically the girl goes on like a, a trip where she she starts like trying to meet back up with a girl and, uh, with her friend and she ends up like eating and then seeing different foods and it's like a yeah. traveling film but something about it is so fun and so um, entertaining because you're watching her explore this new world and stuff like that but if you told that to someone you'd be like why would you find that interesting to watch <laughs> type of thing right um, but yeah I mean it's <laughs> Sometimes you just need uh, someone to give you a push to to watch some of these things. This what this what I found this year. There's a bunch of stuff that I probably wouldn't have watched otherwise, but because I've been in the position to have someone metaphorically push me uh, to watch them. So things like Face of Another, and obviously this film is like things that I probably wouldn't have watched otherwise. But uh, being in being in a fortunate position where someone just like say, "Nope, we're going to sit down and we're going to watch this," and that's sometimes what you need. Maybe someone to do that with like Solaris next year, so <laughs> the three plus hours of Russian cinema <laughs> that it is. So whoever you're gonna give that to is probably gonna hate. Yeah, you probably. Afterwards. So, <laughs> but... so we'll see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how good the friendship is after that. So, um, number seven, Kim. Um, number seven is uh, surprisingly after I said I don't watch Japanese cinema, it's a Japanese Yay. movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, 2003's uh, Tokyo Godfathers, oh. which I literally just watched before we did the recording of this. So it's a very, very fresh addition to the list um, by, you know, the very impressive Satoshi Kon, who has, you know, obviously left us. Um, and uh, very sad because, you know, when you look at Satoshi Kon and even the two movies that I've watched of him, um, the other one is Paprika. um, he is such a talented, like, his mind is incredible. Uh, the things that he's able to write, uh, the stories that he's able to create. And uh, very different from Paprika, um, Tokyo Godfathers is set in realism. There is no fantasy here. Um, it's a very grounded film about about these uh, three homeless men who end up finding... Um, finding a child on Christmas Eve, a little baby in the pile. I guess it's a garbage pile. Um, and they end up setting up on a mission to go find the baby's mom. Uh, and obviously, you know, the cast of characters is very much like uh, a family because you have one who is a uh, trans woman uh, and... Uh, and then there's also, you know, there there's like a young, there's like a younger uh, girl, uh, man, man, it's a girl. man, younger girl, yeah, uh, it's a girl, yeah, younger girl, and then uh, and then you also have like the actual man who's like a you know a middle aged man who's kind of you know you slowly but throughout the story you slowly realize that all these people it's they're not grounded in. You know, the story that he creates is not about homeless people who are asking for your pity. It's really these homeless people have chosen to be there because um, 
because they've done something that they haven't been able to face up to um to to you know get you know uh ex- apologize or you know find their resolution with uh, so it, it turns out to be a pretty sentimental story as you go through this and these three who don't really know each other's stories eventually learn each other's stories throughout the whole process. Uh, I think it's a, you know, there's, it's it's really fun because this one has a bit of comedy to it. It's a lot of quirk. Um, it's a bit odd. <laughs> um, but but the it, it also is a really interesting, um, I guess, an alternate Christmas film. Uh, which is fitting, <laughs> considering you know we're we're heading into the holidays as we're we're recording this, but you know obviously probably not when it's it's released. Um, I I really like the themes of this one. I think that there's something here that captures a different angle to what they're trying to say, and it it makes the film really really unique to watch. Yes, Tokyo Godfathers is an absolutely fantastic film. Um, I'm a huge fan of Satoshi Kon. I think that his whole filmography, while cuts short uh, due to his sad passing from cancer um, throughout is just fantastic throughout uh, certainly the majority of his work, work is either focused on dreams or has a very sort of surrealist age to it um, but it took a godfather it marked a real sort of departure from his usual themes as you said it's this free homeless people that um, are each dealing with their own reasons that led them to be on the streets in the first place so this quest that they find themselves on to reunite this uh, abandoned baby with its family force it to them to sort of reevaluate how they got to where they are and there's a wonderful scene where um, the um, the uh, former drag queen member of the group um, mm-hmm. uh, Queen Hannah she goes to a, a gay bar and uh, they ask her about um, her, this former lover she has and uh, there's this slight in instance where it's sort of like hinted oh did he like pass away from HIV and it's like no he, he slipped mm-hmm. in the shower but it's done in such a wonderfully subtle way and that you actually just really attach to these uh, these unique characters who have as you said they've created this family unit for themselves um, while living out on the uh, streets of, of Tokyo and it's a beautifully designed a short movie um, I think Satoshi Kon is one of those few animators, especially um, directors of animation whose name we can say and it's got the same sort of necro- uh, name recommend- names of recognition of like Murakami um, he sort of like transcends above um, whereas a lot of animation directors don't sort of get known, it feels like more of a collective Satoshi Kon's voice has always been very sort of unique and original and I think if you've not seen one of his films I think this is also a fantastic starting point um, it's certainly not as heavy as Perfect Blue um, and it's not as um, sort of reliant on like knowing things like about like film history than like things like Millennium Mattress have but throughout his uh, whole filmography um, he didn't put a, a foot wrong for myself and I've enjoyed everything that he did so I'm glad that uh, you finally got to see this one, Kim. Oh yeah, it was it was a fantastic discovery. As obviously, it's made it on my list. Um, it, it, it's so nice, but uh, obviously, probably by the time this episode comes out, it would have left Netflix Canada. But hopefully, it's still in Netflix somewhere else. <laughs> of course. 
for myself, um, I have uh, from 1972, The Black Tavern, directed by Teddy Yip Wing Chol. Um, this is a kung fu movie that's Mike Dick over at Kissing Contest and Virtual Pros and Border Boss and First Seven Inch Club. Um, is an absolutely huge fan of this and will recommend it to any given moment. Um, the film itself is just a wonderful slice of kung fu weird as you've got a group of martial artists convening on this black tavern of the uh, title where they serve human remains as pork buns and at the same time a government official is due to arrive carrying a cache of gold which uh, the various parties all want to get their hands on um as I said, this is a wonderful slice of Kung Fu weird, so you have fantastical weapons, you have hopping vampires, you have cannibals. It just basically throws so many different ideas at the screen while blending in some great Kung Fu action as well. Um, so if you're a fan of Kung Fu cinema, then I would recommend checking this out because it's one of those uh, overlooked ones, even though I do think it's been revived by Celestial, so you can um, watch it in various places now. So but for the longest time it was a pain in the ass to get hold of so I was really happy to finally see it <laughs> yeah I mean Black Tavern is a Shaw Brothers movie right yep. so it's uh, I, I'm looking at it right now um, and it, it looks really interesting uh, There's the cast itself is also pretty good um, since you know using my knowledge of Hong Kong <laughs> cinema <laughs> there's certain people who you'd um, like see time and time again who like pop up people like jimmy wang Yu and sammo hung uh, yong biao and then there's yeah. uh, other people who will have done like many movies through shaw brothers but unless you watch a lot of shaw brothers movies you won't necessarily rec- recognize who they are like uh members like the venom mob for example if you watch a lot of shaw brothers mm. movies you'd be like oh i totally recognize who these people are but they may not have like the name recognition for like people who just watch like a lot of like jackie chan movies or bruce lee movies and that so yeah talking about jackie chan he actually has a little role in this one <laughs> does he now yeah <laughs> as uh, some some official official high servant okay it's probably just uh, him being kicked yeah. in the face or something so <laughs> If normally when it's like if it's some like name role like that, it's just like one of his early stunt roles where he was sort of like one of like five or six guys in a scene who would just be like getting kicked in the face or something like. This is he's in um, Fist of Fist of Fury, the early Bruce Lee movie. So there's a couple of Bruce Lee movies where you can say Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan fought because Jackie Chan was working as like stunt team and like Enter the Dragon and Fist of Fury, and he'd be like, oh, you see that guy who got kicked for the wall? That's Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there, there's a lot of really good ones you know you have like Wu Ma, who who was also um great he's like the really fantastic supporting actor who's who's just um who's in so many uh in so many uh good hong kong films and yet and yet you know he's never i don't think he's ever been in like a main role uh but yeah it's it's a it's it's a really interesting one. Uh, I you know I'm not a very you know I haven't watched a lot of Shaw Brothers, um, unfortunately. Uh, but you know Netflix has a has a good few of them now. Yeah, so. and um, again the Arrow Player they've uh, put out the two mm. Shaw Scope box uh, box sets now, and I believe you can rent pretty much all the Shaw Brothers movies on Amazon Prime and and iTunes places like that. So. And there are plenty of them. (laughs) 
The Shaw Brothers <laughs> catalogue is not just like martial arts movies. They'd like ventured off and did like romantic movies and did exploitation movies and they even did a couple of giant monster movies like Super Inframan and the Mighty Peking Man. So it's there's some weird stuff in the Shaw Brothers. Don't just think it's like kung fu movies. They made all sorts of movies for that studio, so <laughs> Yeah, it kinda reminds me a little of um of the the very few Japanese film that I was watching with the, the was it yokai uh, was it the one? oh the uh, yeah I yeah the, about, um, the, about the uh, spirit monsters yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one was a that one was a trip <laughs> yeah Takashi Miike just re- did like two movies for that series he did like the revival uh, ones like can't uh, Great Yokai War was one of his so. Um, yeah right yeah yeah no that one that one hit the festival circuit so no yeah I watched the I watched the 1960s the yokai monster spook oh warfare. yeah that's great <laughs> that's also an arrow player <laughs> as well so <laughs> that is an odd movie um and and you know it was it was kind of it was it was odd and funny but uh, unfortunately it didn't make my list but I I had a really great yeah. time watching it after as the more I thought about it the more it kind of resonated I think cool. But uh, what did make your list when it came to number six, Kim? Number six is, um, I don't know. I kind of had a fight between this one and eventually uh, the 2020 underwater one um, against, you know, Invisible Man. (laughs) Both of the movies I thought were really, really good. Um, But somehow I think that underwater is one that I really appreciated. I thought it was so fun. It was a lovely take on, you know, spoiler alert, Cthulhu. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I, it was, you know, like, Kristen Stewart is an actress that, you know, I think that as you dig deeper right now, as you see her more and more, uh, it's really great because, you know, barring the Twilight experience, most of what you watch of hers before and after is actually pretty acceptable <laughs> um, and even great because underwater is I think it's such a fun it's such a great un- like like um, horror movie set underwater uh, there there's so many things that I think is 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 so amazing about it um, I guess I, I should talk a little about what it's about Um Basically, Underwater is about um, a group of workers who are working at this drilling facility when suddenly um, they feel this kind of earthquake, which starts destroying the facility. Um, And then a group eventually um, end up merging, like finding each other through all the rubble and all this stuff um, in near, I guess, the center, which hasn't started sinking yet. (laughs) Um, Hasn't been like completely destroyed yet. as they try to get to the pods to leave, um, they start realizing that outside surrounding them is actually a lot of hostile creatures. Um, and and that's basically the story, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Underwater made my uh, number four slot back when I did the first time uh, watch the 2020. Um, so I'm a huge fan of this one. I understand what you're saying with it you look at the actors who are in Twilight and they sort of have that sort of like they're forever known as like the Twilight kids people like Robert Pattinson and um, Kristen Stewart and yet at the same time they've took 
that sort of financial security those movies gave them, and they got on to make really interesting projects. Like Robert Pattinson's currently uh, doing like the Batman, but before that he did like Good Times and High Life. Uh, Kristen Stewart himself has uh, also done some really great stuff in the indie stuff, like American Ultra and Adventureland, and certainly Underwater, which sadly due to some horrible distribution just never really reached the audience they did and I think it's slowly becoming a, a bit of a cult favourite as more and more people are sort of discovering but sadly didn't uh, revive the underwater horror genre which I really hoped that it would because I really enjoyed that brief uh, moment when we had like three underwater horror movies all came out at the same time we had like The Abyss and Leviathan and Deep Star 6 and is this little mini genre um, in in horror, and uh, it suddenly just sort of like came and went. But um, Underwater was like a real great uh, throwback to those movies, and features a, a fantastic exploding head as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I no, I like I think Underwater for at least in Canada, I think it released really close to lockdown. <laughs> so I it. think that had a lot to do with why it didn't do good. <laughs> um, you know, back in the days when we had the lockdown after a few cases and you know, we're looking at stuff that's completely different now. <laughs> um, but I mean, Underwater is really it, it's like it even has like a really great cast as well. You know, you have obviously Kristen Stewart and but you also have um, Vincent Castle and you have, you know, John Gallagher Jr., who, you know, we, we most probably, like, I remember him most when he did uh, 10 Cloverfield okay, Lane. Yeah. Um, and then he did Hush. Uh, so, uh, very good. And then um, you have Mamadou Athi, who's been in a lot more stuff recently. Uh, most notably, I think, was, uh, I noticed him was when he did uh, Archive 81, the series that <laughs> I don't think anybody watched, but actually was really, really good on Netflix. Um, and after that, I think recently he's been doing some other uh, some other films. I've been seeing his name a lot more recently. And uh, I just oh, and he was oh, and he was in Patty Cakes, which also almost made my list. Yeah, another Friday film club pick uh, that I still need to watch as well. So yes. <laughs> yeah and obviously you have tj miller um so you know there's a there's a it's a really good cast that's that's here as well so um i it's a it's sad that it didn't get the it didn't get the exposure that it needed um hopefully you know people will find it and it'll turn into like a cult classic or something in the future certainly uh <laughs> certainly hope so i mean certainly a lot of people were excited when they discovered it when I've seen on like the various film boards and stuff it's like it'll like turn up on like a film four showing or they'll stumble across it on like one of the streaming services and they're like why why were we not talking about this movie so we're hopefully and you know maybe down the line we'll get a underwater too you never know the way the film industry goes now so do you really yes. want to see yes I do <laughs> <laughs> if it's the same director, right, and then he's doing the same thing, you know, like like a, he's able to create. Uh, if like, we a can get five story. Avatar movies, we can get a second underwater movie. <laughs> true, that is very very true. Um, speaking of space and epics, uh, my number six pick is Denis Villeneuve's Tune. Um, or as it probably should be known, June Part 1, as essentially here he splits the, the first book into two parts, which is probably the best decision he could have made, because June is this big, unworldly tome that uh, I've 
tried to read multiple times and got lost in multiple times and yet it's this fantastical world which has essentially replaced what Star Wars was for the longest period until the fans killed my interest in that whole series and then Disney buying the property killed it only further so I'm now a June kid um, June if you're not familiar with it it's uh, obviously based the first in the Frank Herbert um, series of books um, based around the planet Arrakis uh, which produces the spice which makes space travel possible um, and is also one of the most valuable commodities in the world. This is a world of uh, desert planets, giant sandworms and war, epic warring um, families on a grand scale um, as we have the noble house of Atreides going up against the evil and uh, corrupted house Harkonnen uh, led here by Peter Stormer in a fantastic uh, sorry led by Stern Skarsgård as, uh, who puts in a wonderful performance as Baron Harkonnen um, but no this is a a really fantastic adaptation of the very complicated book I think they do a really great job of breaking it down and not over complicating things because it's a book which has got a hundred plus characters it's got a complex political system and by splitting it into two it sort of like gives you this great foundation chunk and then we'll have the second one which is out next year which is going to introduce all the elements we didn't see in this one such as like the emperor space would be played by crystal walken we'll get to see the space navigators and all this other wonderful uh, stuff as we round out the first book uh, with plans obviously to remake the other books which only get weirder as they go on so i really can't wait to uh this series to become like really popular and we get into like the fourth book and we got like the human sandworm hybrids and other weird shit <laughs> they work into this but um <laughs> just put into perspective they did when he Herbert died his son um put out a series of books called prelude to june which are like a, a prequel series uh, that are supposed to establish everything and even reading those four books i still have no clue what is going on in june half the time so but this is a visually fantastic movie <laughs> it's an exciting world and they've just done such a great job with the material that I'm really excited for the second part which is out uh, this coming year, so 2023 that's cool, I haven't watched June yet, I think I watched the previous adaptation um, yeah, oh, the David yeah, Lynch the David one, Lynch one. Yeah. Um, eons ago like I, far enough that I don't yeah, remember it much um but, I mean, I always think Denis Villeneuve is always such an interesting um, director to watch. He's, you know, like, when, when I was looking mm. at Dune, I think um, I felt like it was promising when, you know, you watch Blade Runner 2049 and you kind of like, okay, well, that seems very similar to this. It seems like, you know, that sort of fantasy sci-fi yeah, exactly. thing that really works for him. Um, obviously, Denis Villeneuve has done some really impressive movies, uh, Sicario, and you know, even before he became such a Hollywood name, um, he, um, I think he he did some really really uh, weird and lovely stuff all at the same time. Um, I think my first movie that I exposed to Denis Villeneuve is surprisingly Mealstrom, uh, which is a movie that I really really love and I would love to revisit again because it's so weird. It starts and ends with a talking fish on a chopping board. <laughs> so um yeah no i mean uh dune is definitely on my list something that i want to watch um but i think i 
I think a part of me, whenever things get split into part one, part two, and I haven't really watched anything of it previously, I always tend to want to wait for the whole thing to come out before I watch it. Uh, just to kind of have like a you yeah, know, you don't want to... connection through the whole thing, right? <laughs> so that you don't give yourself that time to forget. And then the second part comes and you're like, oh no, what was this? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I think he does know that he has an incredible cast here. And certainly if you like a, liked Blade Runner, then I think then you're very much in the sort of mindset for this one, Ed's. Because um, certainly when June, David Lynch's version of June came out, they were sort of like, oh, this is going to be the new Star Wars. And it's like, no, June is nothing like Star Wars at all. <laughs> so it's um, more based around like political moves and stuff even though this one's got some really good action sequences in it as well so um and as i say it's got giant sandworms what what more do you need <laughs> uh so this takes into the top half of the list now on to number five kim number five is 2018's profile um i'm a huge fan of screen life um films um they are so good. Um, I really, really love them. If you don't know what screen life is, it's kind of a, co- a term that was coined um, for the bunch of films that uh, Timur Bekmambetov, <laughs> I can't say his name properly, um, did. Uh, basically, it's kind of like um, found footage, but with new technology. Uh, and, you know, like Skype and computer screens and, and all that stuff. Um, and you did like a trilogy of it with, um, uh, with, with, with obviously it started with Unfriended, but he was doing Profile and then he also did, um, what was that other one? Searching? Yes, Searching. That's it. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, this one that I'm talking about is Profile, which is based on a nonfiction book, The Skin of a Jihadist. And it it talks about this uh, woman who is uh, who is a journalist, and she's set on a mission to go under an alias, where she cre- she's trying to approach the person who is you know uh, an ISIS fighter from Syria, um, and she's trying to basically understand the process of how they recruit young European women into ISIS. Um, And in the process, she becomes infatuated with this person. She gets very into this whole relationship and things kind of get really, really out of hand. Um, Profile is really captivating, I think. Like the the whole idea of um, how they use the camera and the Skype and and the different technology that they use to kind of capture the conversation and and just you know like how everything works it feels very realistic and I think that when you're I think it, it's even anything like this it's even more real when you're watching it in some type of you know obviously some type of screen prefer preferably a computer screen um, it it feels so you know like the danger you can almost feel it and that sort of thing and and the movie gets so gripping and I, and i think it's 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 really amazing how you're able to do this uh i really i really wish people would explore this kind of screen life element a little bit more cuz i feel like that's kind of like the future of found footage um but yeah <laughs> it's it was it was a very very um 
like a film that I waited a long time to watch, and I I I think that it exceeded my expectations of how good it was. Fantastic. Um, much like yourself, I'm a big fan of this genre, though I never had a name for it until now. So thank you, Kim. Um, I really enjoyed uh, both Unfriended and Unfriended Dark Web. Uh, I also enjoyed um, Searching as well, which I think was just a really great thriller. The only downside to this genre, much like in the fact that when we look at found footage, we got a lot of shaky cam. There's um, a lot of within this genre, we have to have things like on the screen. But if you like me myself and try to cheap down the size of your TV, it's a little hard to read. So you got to get up and read little tiny writing on the screen but apart from that i think it's a super effective method of storytelling and i'm really excited to see this one so well i think that profile would be perfect in that sense because profile is focused a lot on not so many words as much as it's it's about like the conversation <coughs> between mm. um you know this woman and and, and this this uh Bilal, who is this isis fighter um and it's just, you know, like the manipulation that's going on and that sort of thing. It It's a very captivating conversation that they have. The main thing that she does big research for is basically like news articles with like gigantic words. So, <laughs> so it's a tabloid, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So you're not really going to, you know, it's it's really not super hard. It's just a lot of like uh, conversation that, that's going on back and forth, you know, layers of conversation as well when, you know, she starts and, you know, this tech is trying to help her and that and set up the technology for the whole thing and blah, 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 you know? <laughs> cool. You're really padding out my watch list tonight, so. <laughs> got pies and zombies and now we got found footage. It's, oh, it's just all coming together for Christmas now. <laughs> so what was your uh, number five pick? Number five, uh, we have Nicolas Cage's uh, outstanding performance in Pig uh, from 2021, directed by Michael Saranowski, who is currently set to do A Quiet Place day one. He also directed Rings, so, but don't hold that against him. Um, here, Nicolas Cage plays a truffle hunter who uh, lives out in the Oregon wilderness with his prized pet, um, Pig, which gets uh, kidnapped, and he sets out to the big uh, city of portland to go and find it back venturing into the restaurant underworld uh to try and find out who is responsible for taking his pig um while we've obviously talked a bit tonight about uh food porn this one could also be classified as ingredient porn um as uh the finale involves nicholas case decimating someone's will with the fine cooked meal but uh, the preparation for it is just absolutely tantalizing as you hear him talk about the ingredients and uh, try and f find uh, various things that, to prepare this meal. But no, this is... Um, it's been a weird couple of years for Nicholas Cage as he's been working off his debt um, and suddenly putting out interesting... Much like Anthony Wong, he's often been the most interesting performance in some very bad movies, but... Um, when it came to Pig, this was certainly one of those more interesting movies that he sort of worked in there, much like Mandy um, and Colour from Outer Space. And I think this is probably one of his best performances that I've seen him in quite a while. And certainly it's, um, it's a lot more toned down. It's not one of his sort of like crazy performances, but the way that this uh, film is sort of like designed with him sort of venturing into the underworld of uh, the portland uh, restaurant scene is just uh, absolutely fantastic and just this him playing this almost like vagrant character who also knows everything about the restaurant industry is just uh, 
really uh, fantastic journey that it takes us on. So I'm excited to see what this director does next as um, certainly Nicholas Cage is only now he's got more, sort of more freedom in the projects he's choosing to do um, has really been continuing on this track as we saw with like the unbearable weight of massive talent which was also really great but failed to sort of crack my personal top 20 for this year so yeah no, I mean I, I never knew what Pig was about I've heard of the movie before um, but definitely I think Nicolas Cage's recent years has definitely uh, especially when you look at the indie films that you know now that he's kind of having the freedom to do what he wants um again that he's choosing this indie route that um there's been you know like you mentioned all the, t- the a lot of them already um i haven't watched mandy yet but i mean i watch color out of space and um and uh and it, it, you know there's a lot of really interesting titles that he's been a part of i think that that really kind of put him up there. Like all these stories seem so fun. <laughs> when you're talking about like him looking for a pig and kind of going through all that, you, you start you can't help but think about John Wick as he <laughs> John Wick, where he's like <laughs> going through all that for for someone who killed his dog, right? It's um, it's a very similar, but he's instead of he's just not um just if you just remove the uh, punching people in the face elements, <laughs> then you're pretty much on the right track. He's just this guy who wants to he's happy living out in the wilderness, and it's all like. The wrong people mess with him, so yeah. he goes looking for them. So, yeah, no, I mean, definitely, this is a this is one I I've had on my I had on my eye on. I almost rented it one time this year, and uh, now oh, I yeah. now I feel really bad that it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Number four, Kim. So number four, I have. Uh, I mean, if you find this all in my Friday Film Club picks, I'm sorry, but those are all <laughs> my good movies this year. So. <laughs> I chose all the best stuff <laughs> to share with everybody. So the next one is uh, 2021's Time, which is a Hong Kong movie. Um, oh. It's basically my, you know, my Hong Kong film pick of the year. Um, Time was Time is like a really good movie. I don't know if you ended up watching it. Um, I did. Yeah, um, yeah I, I recommended this one to um, to Stephen as well um, after you you recommended it to Friday Film Club. I think we had, we had a discussion at some point about it and this one was just wild and it's genre hopping because it's never ever one thing is it so yeah um so basically time is um a 2021 story uh starring some very very veteran (laughs) um actors and actresses uh the cast as uh three as you have like three retired like a retired assassin and his old partners um they kind of find this new purpose in their life uh by helping um seniors end their lives um you know in their own you know in their own uh in their own way basically not waiting you know not letting you know sickness take them or ending their pain or in whatever way um until they have a young woman who asks them to you know (laughs) <laughs> take her life and um basically she ends up uh getting attached to um the retired assassin and uh from there they start building the relationship from there and you kind of start exploring the lives of these three people including you know how the girl is and 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 the and the you know very odd relationship that happens it almost feels a little bit like tokyo godfathers where um they kind of uh, from extension build up this new family at the end uh, 
and and there's something you know there's there's so much to love because one you know you have Patrick Z who plays the retired assassin and um, he I believe was 81 or 82 when he when he filmed this movie um, and you know that <laughs> it's wild to imagine him doing this and he's still able to do some of the you know action moves and all that stuff right uh, but there's like I think what it is really nice is that this one has this kind of comedy element in it um, you also have, uh, some action in it, and there's a whole lot of, you know, drama and sentiments in this one as well, and I, and I really think they're, you know, the balance that they achieve with all of these are so good, because you, the film focuses basically on kind of the neglect of the seniors in our society, and there's, like, a big focus on people who neglect the, you know, kind of like whether it's your family or uh, who have their family and then they neglect the the things that they've done for you or um, seniors who are living on their own or people who are struggling have no other way to get out of it. I think that there's so there's like a societal reflection of uh, in the film itself uh, embedded in all of this like you know assassin business. <laughs> Yeah, this is a really fantastic uh, pick, as you said. Um, Patrick Patrick is is great, even though that ponytail is questionable. Um, he also has great support from Fung Bo Bo and Lam Suet. Lam Suet in particular has um, who plays the overweight chauffeur that drives them around, um, who's also having this sort of unrequited love affair with a local prostitute, and. It's sort of like you get when you're watching it. It's sort of like you get into it. It's sort of like oh, it's going to be this film, and then it changes genre as, as soon as you get comfortable with it. So you have the introduction of uh, Chang Shui Ying's characters, uh, who initially it seems like you can have this Nikita, uh, sort of this Leon thing, where Patrick Tate's character is going to like train her to become an assassin, and then they it goes off from that and he sort of like becomes more the father figure and they're trying to connect uh, her with her ex-boyfriend and it just went in so many wonderful directions and the fact that you've got as you said already you've got these elderly assassins who at, this, at one at certain times their skills seem like still as sharp as ever and other times they seem not as sharp as others such as like the scene where they're trying to interrogate the uh, the ex-boyfriend and you see from from Bobo uh, doing some like rope skills but she's managed to take out the light and stuff so <laughs> it's uh yeah I really I really enjoyed this one even though it didn't uh, sort of crack my top 50 there was a period where it was it was in there, and I definitely, uh, definitely, relatively enjoyed this one. And I think it's it was on Netflix here in the UK, but I'm not sure if it's still there now. But uh, it's still on yeah. Netflix in Canada, so I think it's still on Netflix. Um, yeah, it, it should. I think it should still be there. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully, it is. Yeah. So I would recommend it. Definitely agree with your recommendation for that one, then, Kip. <laughs> it's you know my 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 old Hong Kong nostalgia self being like oh this is such a great movie <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> i wonder if that that is and that's why you know i was really happy when you're saying that you watch this and you kind of also liked it also um so it's it's nice um so what's your number four uh number four we have a classy costume drama period piece with uh park chan wook's the handmaid of 2016 uh this is an adaptation of the novel fingersmith which was uh, by the same author tipping the velvet um set in which uh, Park transfers the story to 1930s Korea, in which a 
a young woman is hired to be the handmaiden of a Japanese heiress who is living on this giant estate, um, only to find out there is secrets within the family she's working for, and she has many secrets herself. Um, this is a film which is obviously uh, known for having some sexy elements in it, but it's also an absolutely gripping thriller and wonderfully stylishly shot. If uh, I could compare it to sort of any film, it would be probably something like um, Ang Lee's Last Caution. Mm. I think it's a, a really interesting film to sort of like compare it to, and a, a film that I really enjoyed as well. But no, I'm a huge fan of Park Chan Wook, and with this film, it's once again he just produces this absolutely sumptuous looking film where he combines beautiful cinematography with some horrible acts indeed um and somehow makes it uh it it work the way that he does but um no the the handmaiden is uh one that i would uh, definitely recommend checking uh out especially if you're a fan of uh chan wook's other films yeah i mean i th- the handmaiden is like super hard to get an actual english sub version in canada for some reason oh weird i have no idea why like even on when you go on youtube it's like they give you they have a warning and they're like oh this is a korean film with korean subtitles no english <laughs> subtitles i was like but why are you selling it on, <laughs> on youtube <laughs> <laughs> like, it's you great you're catering me here? <laughs> it's great you're catering for the hard of hearing in Korea but uh, how about something for the rest of us <laughs> yeah so that is one of the main reasons why the handmaiden hasn't actually made it onto my uh, onto my viewing list um, mostly because I haven't been able to find a version where I can understand it <laughs> um, but no I mean Park Chan-wook this is definitely one that uh, I, I'm very interested in because you know the handmaiden <coughs> you know even when you think about like that kind of like um, sexy thriller type of type of thing mm. we kind of have a bit of that when we look at Stoker which is also one of my favorite movies like ever <laughs> so <laughs> um Park Chan Wook definitely has you know proved that he can do some really great um great stuff when it comes to that and uh yeah I mean hopefully one day I'll have it soon we'll see if we can hook you up Kim so <laughs> so into the big numbers now uh number three yeah, number three is uh, surprisingly a big movie <laughs> and a new movie, <laughs> and um, that's twenty. That's this year's um, Pixar. Is it no Disney uh, Pixar movie? Turning Red, which I know a lot of people have issues with, but I do not. I think that the movie <laughs> is very very good. Um, Turning Red is uh, is about a thirteen year old girl. Um, Chinese girl <laughs> who is basically you know she's she real <laughs> she, she you know she's she starts she eventually realizes that when she loses her temper she turns into this giant red panda <laughs> and um she doesn't really know what to do um this is set in Ontario uh Toronto and um you basically you know have her where she realizes this curse and then she she starts having to control her emotions a little um but i think that you know what what this you know the film is really talking about is basically the fact that it's about you know a girl going through changes in her adolescence um obviously people got 
you know, offended by, you know, by offended by, you know, like all this stuff or bothered by it. But I actually think it was a really smart move to be using this and a really nice angle to take a film like this where, you know, you have you have a girl uh, who's with a bunch of, you know, like her, people her age and she's torn between not only is it, you know, like family and being um, a good daughter and all that stuff, but also being able to embrace the the things in, in tradition, like, you know, liking the boy band that she likes and all that um, and being able to, you know, to, to have the rebellious stuff that she wants from <laughs> it, it being a teen, but also uh, having to deal with this predicament that she has, like that she... Does she try to, you know, embrace um, this this uh, animal that's in her, <laughs> or or kind of uh, or try to, you know, control it and get rid of it, right? Um, no, there, there's so many like little deeper messages from it, and for a Pixar movie, I think it achieves quite a bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, turning red. I uh, made my top 50 for this year i really enjoyed uh the hell out of this one i mean yes it's um a disney Pixar movie that's talking about periods oh my god shocking stuff but uh recently they've really been doing a lot of that as they did a bunch of stuff with um big hero 6's baymax um doing a, they did a a short where he's going out buying uh pads and jumping this <laughs> you know it's a natural thing. It's, I know we all get embarrassed talking about these things, but I think it handled it really well. And um, it's funny that they use this as obviously the symbol for change. When I think back to like Carrie and so much anime, where it's sort of like, and even like Ginger Snaps, where it's sort of like the period signifies change, and it's normally like the awakening of powers. But obviously, her power is that she turns into a giant red panda. Um, mm-hmm. as is her family's curse and we even get to see the a little bit of a kaiju action there as well with the giant rampaging um, giant red panda um, it's really fantastically animated I love her friend circle in particular they've all got such great characters and yeah. there's, there's certain characters there that I look at them and I sort of link them back to like um, other female critics I know like Heather and Jeanette there's characters there within that group I can see and not to be too cliche and they sort of like I saw it's like oh there's like the uh, Pixar version of Kim but that seemed like really on the nose so and James Hong puts in his like one million credit on his CV so good for him <laughs> yeah I th- you know when you think about movies about changing um, like obviously from the ones that you were talking about uh, you know there's also there you know I think that there's so many different angles of taking it that you know I it, it, it takes me back to when I watched the German movie blew blew my mind which is like a, a teenage girl transitioning and she's transitioning into a mermaid and and <laughs> and, and, and I think that, huh of course she is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you think about it and you're like, well, you know, that's kind of like part horror because there, there's an element of it that's, that's very scary. But, you know, Turning Red takes like this really, you know, like, oh, yeah, if only the periods was this, you know, cute little red panda. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Even if there was like a huge anger to it and everything. I, you know, I take that <laughs> any day. <laughs> and to, there's uh, the scene when she's like in a, a bedroom and she's lamenting about uh, the fact she's a giant panda and how that uh, it's even like takes like teen wolf sort of angle where everyone embraces the giant panda. Yeah. They they love the panda. So uh, yeah. It's uh, 
it's really great and i was surprised with like when it came to the choice of the the voice cast that this yeah. wasn't like a we didn't have michelle yo turn up in this one which i really thought that she did although we did have uh chang from uh, orange is the new black yes yes, yes. uh provides the voice of one of the aunties so yeah and um and the the girl from um what is that? What is that Netflix show? I forgot. Uh, Never have I ever does one of the friends' voice. Oh, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I like as well. It's sort of like these aren't like Disney princess girls. They're like girls who are into nerdy things, and they're into Korean boy bands, and uh, just all these things. Like the fact she's uh, like hammering away on a Tamagotchi. It's sort of like, oh, I've not thought about Tamagotchis in like since like the nineties. So good to see them revival. Um, for my number three, uh, we—it's funny we mentioned Raw earlier in this film because uh, Julia Dushkanor's uh, latest film, Titan E, is my number three pick from twenty twenty one. This is a film which follows a young woman who's a model uh, for car shows who also has a uh, kink of liking to have sex with cars. She's also a serial killer um, who, after her latest. Um, murder spree goes slightly astray disguises herself as the missing boy of a uh, fireman and uh, basically turns herself into disguises herself as his missing son um, all the while trying to sort of like disguise the fact that she's somehow become pregnant by the car that she had sex with <laughs> this is uh, like Roy is a wonderfully bizarre movie but at the same time has a logic that you're like yeah that totally works um, but it's French and it I suppose it gets a bit of a extra yardstick to work with uh, just on that fact alone but no this is a, a really great follow up to Raw if you enjoyed Raw I think you're certainly going to kick out Titan E um, as it's got a wonderful style uh, to it and certainly uh, Dushkino is just coming just constantly proving herself time and time again um as a director with not only her feature work with raw and uh this film but also she's done episodes of uh the series uh servant as well which uh was really great as well so um yeah i would uh definitely recommend giving that a look especially if you like your horror weird <laughs> well i mean that this is you know no doubt it's on my list i'm i really love raw and i think that uh julie ducano has uh such a <laughs> you know she has she's she's a really impressive uh female director and i you know i really i'm really interested like in the the vision of this but you know it makes me wonder as you're telling me the plot of this obviously because i didn't know the plot before yeah <laughs> what is french people and uh <laughs> and making out with <laughs> and having like <laughs> deep love for 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 inanimate objects <laughs> i mean the, I, I still remember watching jumbo it was uh oh yeah that was that was also <laughs> on my list on this year um about the girl in love with the um the, the fun for a ride, ride yes <laughs> and that's it, a that's a comedy as well <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, um, that 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 was what I thought of when I was like, oh my goodness, and I remember that was a French movie, so I even went to look that up just now just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, they, I've I've got no answer for you, Kim. <laughs> um, yeah, 
it's it, it's always great if you can have an out there concept and get your audience to buy into it, such as like Del Toro's Shape of Water. Mm, yeah. Like his whole obsession of like, what if the Gill Man got the girl? And it's sort of like, somehow he sold us all on this idea. Mm. <laughs> it's like, how did you do this? And the same with like Titany and Jumbo. We're somehow sold on these really outlandish premises. And I think if you can do that as a director, then you're certainly doing well. <laughs> I think so too. But um, yeah, there's there's other elements to it, but I don't want to really spoil it to you if you've obviously not seen it. So, um, I, I I would just say if that outlandish concept just appeals to you, or if you just enjoyed Raw, then definitely go give it a, a watch. So definitely, that definitely will uh, keep my eye out. I'm I, my eyes have been out for this movie <laughs> to, to, to rent and stuff, um, but I I just haven't you know caught anything that you know haven't haven't done it yet <laughs> yeah of course um yeah um so yeah my number two is um <laughs> is so unexpected as a as a uh, list i think you already know what it is um because you know you are the one who inspired me to watch it <laughs> and that's 1998's cult classic now um deep rising oh wow i thought this was gonna be like your number one pick so number two is is i'm still really impressed with because yeah, this is a movie I think we've we've talked about a fair bit since. It's te- we've tried to work it into other lists as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, for people who don't know, Deep Rising is a film about basically um, a crew that's been hired by mercenaries um, to go to a unknown location, which they soon realize is a uh, luxury cruise ship. And as they board this luxury cruise ship, they realize that the cruise ship is now empty. Um, they don't know what's happened to it. And obviously we know because the beginning scene, we saw what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where the ship mysteriously like has been attacked uh, by something. Um, and as they explore, they start, you know, kind of discovering what is chasing them slowly. Um, basically, this is a creature feature film. Um, and... And it's it's just so good, <laughs> and you know the best part is this movie is like great all the way till the end where we we have this like catchphrase, this catch line, I guess from from the main character who's played by Treat Williams, who who basically he's like what now, and the ending ends with what now, and then you kind of expect it to have this sequel, but. It never happened, which really sucks. <laughs> no. Um, originally, this was going to be obviously, the prequel to a uh, King Kong remake, but unfortunately, um, got stuck in development hell. Um, so it now ends on this just weird cliffhanger where you're just like, I want Deep Rising 2. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we never, we're never going to get that. We're never going to get his vision of uh, King Kong because obviously Peter Jackson picked up the rights and did his epic version of it which is also great so i suppose you could always watch that and fudge the details together (laughs) but no um deep rising also gave us um one of many reasons to be afraid of sitting on the toilet between this and arachnophobia so (laughs) um yeah i um i can't uh, recommend more, and especially as we're in the festive season, I think probably it's probably snakes on the plane it. goes in that list as well. <laughs> Does it? I forgot about snakes on the plane. <laughs> um, so yeah, great pick, Kim. So, what's your number two? 
My number two is a film that almost knocked my number one pick off, um, and a film that I've been meaning to watch for quite a while, and that's Rogue Games from 1981, directed by Richard Franklin. Uh, this is the exploitation version of uh, Rear Window, as uh, Stacy Keach plays a truck driver going across the Australian outback, who becomes obsessed with uh, this man in a van who he assumes to be a serial killer. Um, along the way, he encounters the same people, and his paranoia sort of grows all the more as he keeps encountering this uh, man in his van. Along the way, picking up Jamie Lee Curtis as a hitchhiker, as the um, pair try to piece together what the actual mystery is. Um, this is a uh, a really really fantastic thriller and one that just sort of had me hooked from like start to finish and I think Stacey Keach is fantastic in this one um, as is Jamie Lee Curtis as well so it was um, also received a film where they got a lot of backlash at the time because they were American actors seemingly stealing jobs from Australian actors which didn't go down too well but both are absolutely phenomenal in this and it's got a colourful cast of characters on this sort of road trip slash thriller um and it sort of plays up the uh the tropes of uh which made hitchcock's rear window work so well uh, but obviously as a road movie hmm <laughs> it is i've never heard of this one <laughs> but uh but it's, it sounds interesting i mean I've been watching a lot of stuff about cars chasing stuff down recently. And yeah. It's been, <laughs> it's, been, it's been interesting. You know, obviously, everything for me where you talk about cars and being in a car chase starts with Duel. Um, and I, I always love to refer to that one a lot. Uh, but, I mean, I also recently watched Highwaymen. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, yesterday from okay. this recording. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of... I don't know. I think that uh, movies, when they use this type of scenario of being down the highway and being in these kind of like um, tracking, tracking people on highways and things like that, it, it's you know when you're actually in a moving destination, it, it's always it's always very interesting to to capture in a film. Yeah, it's um, it's it's sort of like taps in the fact that you encounter like you go on a long road trip and you encounter like the same people over and over again and just uh, this amazing that you can build this sort of like list of uh, suspects and just like how paranoia grows just from like catching glimpses of this this one person that you start to assume is uh, up to no good. So um, yeah, I would definitely. Uh, recommend this one and obviously being an exploitation movie plays in perfectly with their love of working car chases into every conceivable genre they can <laughs> for some reason australians love car chases so you watch like coming of age dramas sort of like frog dreaming and there's like a car chase sequence in it for no reason at all it's just uh, any excuse that they got to uh, work them in so but um number one kim what is the number <laughs> one pick Number one is actually very, very suitable um, in this spot because its sequel just came out on Netflix. Um, and that's 2019's Knives Out, which is an American film, uh, which reminds you a lot of, you know, uh, films like uh, Hercule Poirot from, you know, Hercule Poirot's character from Agatha Christie novels, um, where, you know, They've obviously created this detective Benoit Blanc, which is uh, which is played by Daniel Craig. Uh, so basically, what Knives Out is is uh, it's a story about um, 
a master detective called Benoit Blanc, who is investigating the death of this patriarch who is played by Christopher Plummer. Uh, yeah. who is uh, the you know the patriarch of this wealthy um, and very dysfunctional family <laughs> um, the you know and and he goes and basically starts exploring everybody um, and he obviously um, also seeks out the help of um, the caretaker of uh, of this patriarch uh, who is played by Anna de Armas. And, I mean, it's a pretty impressive cast overall, and I think that that really helps <laughs> with, you know, you know, your Jamie Lee Curtis, Chris Evans, uh, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette. Um, and it, it's it's a really impressive movie. It The mystery itself, how it's how the investigation goes, um, uh, Daniel Craig with a southern accent, <laughs> everything comes together to really uh, create a very, very good movie. Yeah, this is one that definitely um, I came to late in the game. I think it's the fact that Glass Onion's obviously coming on to Netflix for December. Uh, that sort of finally gave me the kick up. They asked to finally watch it, and I know that uh, we have an episode on this one, which is coming up. So uh, definitely look out for that in your subscription feed. And um, yeah, we definitely both enjoyed this one, even though it did make my top 50 list for a period and they sort of like got knocked off by other things and certainly with uh when we had daniel craig doing the southern accent there was obviously that potential for it to go too sort of cliche too comedic and i think he just walks that fine line just right so i'm excited to see what he does with uh this character because i think it's a proposed trilogy um and glass onion has also promises its own collection of quirky characters as well which uh includes dave batista turning up in another unique role for him so mm-hmm. yeah well i mean i believe we're going to be doing an episode on glass onion fairly soon as well so yep you can keep your eye out on that as well fantastic yeah and what's your big number one title my number one title is everything everywhere all at once um, Michelle Yeoh's phenomenal performance, and oh look, another Jamie Lee Curtis movie making its way onto the list. Um, Michelle Yeoh, um, obviously a huge fan of. If you've uh, probably heard me gush about her, about her hair, and certainly on the Asian Cinema Film Club, you've heard me and Stephen talk about our love for Michelle Yeoh a lot, and certainly this is one of a number of exciting roles that she's been uh, putting in recently. Um, and here she plays a laundry owner who is facing problems with her tax. Uh, she's got a wayward daughter and a husband who is uh, kind of uh, doesn't seem to be taking life too seriously. And then she finds out that she is possibly the one person who is going to help save the universe by tapping into the skills and abilities of her other selves across the multiverse. Um this was one of a number of multiverse movies that we've had recently. We had this and we had um, the recent Doctor Strange movie mm. uh, in the Multiverse of Madness. So this one's um, especially fun and it goes in some really fun, weird directions. And this is probably one of the few A24, mm-hmm. I want to say this is, uh, one of their output that I've just really enjoyed and it's not been sort of like a too sort of highbrow, but I just really enjoyed the creativity of this one and just how 
this really out there sort of concept because it's from the same makers of uh, Swiss Army Man. Um, what they've done with the the action sequences here, and it's fun as well when you look at the fact that you've got the guy who the um well the kid who was formerly short round in Temple of Doom is now an adult and obviously has been working as a martial arts choreographer for many years on things such as like the One. Um, now turns up uh, as an adult actor and puts in this really fantastic supporting role as Michelle uh, Yeoh's husband and it taps into some really fun sort of quirky alternate worlds uh, we even get a world which feels like a nod to um, In the Mood for Love the only sort of criticism I have when this is just me being stupid really um, is the fact that we don't have a world which is just her and Maggie, Young hang- uh, Maggie Chung hanging out just hair just those two having a muffin or something i would have been like (laughs) fanboyed the hell out of this movie it would have been like (laughs) we would have to create numbers above one for how much how happy i would have been with this movie but even though that doesn't happen i think it still is a phenomenal performance from the whole cast in particular michelle yo and jim lee curtis is on fantastic supporting duty as well so if you've uh, not seen this it is a amazon prime exclusive so you can check it out on there and i think uh it's another of those films where you think this is such a out there concept there's no way that i that other people is going to be like have this mass appeal and yet somehow it uh really has and uh people have been able to die from it so that is my number one pick for this year ah that's really good i mean i didn't know it was an amazon prime exclusive (laughs) so i'm going to get on that right away (laughs) (laughs) hopefully it is and it's not just like in the uk that you have because i know that (laughs) who knows it might be (laughs) netflix um, us have got the bullet train and we haven't in the uk that's for sure so <laughs> yeah, but I mean, considering the the recent watch of Michelle Yao that I had was uh, was one uh, was from last Christmas with a role called Santa, and then mm. she has this really really incredible part <laughs> where she talks about how she adapts her name <laughs> that she's not really called Santa and she's she adapts her name to whatever she's doing, and then you can't imagine like Michelle Yeoh being like in a pet shop and her name's called Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, oh, Michelle Yeoh is really is fantastic. Like I, I I love her in a lot of stuff, and I think like when you talk about movies like uh, even like Crazy Rich Asians, like I I like the movie, but not to the extent of a lot of people. Uh, but I think she did like a, a crazily great um, performance there, um, and and I think she really just just like she's she's just a woman of so much uh, elegance, grace, and yet she can like kick some ass. That is, it's fantastic. She's just, it, it seems to be like no limit to like the roles you play. You think that a lot of uh, young actresses, they sort of hit this sort of like period where I know that uh, Amy Schumer called it uh, the last day of being fuckable, uh, where they just sort of like get sort of like pushed to the sides and to the next sort of wave of young models to come in. And then with you have actresses like Michelle Yeoh who've just been working steadily and just putting out increasing they only get she's only putting out more interesting performances as she sort of like goes on. Um when you go from like her early days doing movies with like Golden Harvest and now we see the film she's like doing the West and things like this and Sunshine. She just constantly turns up in interesting places and just gives these phenomenal performances and uh yeah. And just so, uh, it just makes you all the more glad that when she retired, when she married Dixon Poon, that the marriage didn't sort of work out just so we can, she can come back and make awesome movies like this. So, (laughs) yeah, I guess. (laughs) 
so yes, that was uh, that was my number one pick. Um, and uh, Kim, you've definitely given me plenty to watch as well. So thank you for yours picks tonight as well. <laughs> I think uh, I think yours is a deeper exploration so far. So. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, well, that was nice. <laughs> I'm glad you had fun. Um, yours is like 50s, 60s, 80s, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Uh, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. It all helps raise the profile of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. And you can also check out our blog, which is podcast at wordpress.com. But uh, until next time thank you uh, for listening thank you to my co-host Kim and uh, we will of course be back next year with a brand new season of uh, films we're going to be looking at the history of the creature feature movie we've got some great after hours picks as well coming up as well so uh, plenty to come in 2023 but until then I hope you have a lovely festival festive season and a happy new year and uh, make sure you join us in 2023 for more movies and tea <laughs>